We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 98 on the Osage tribe murders. And we'll see if we got Rachel burping before we started. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was quick. Uh, My bad. (laughs) Better out than in. Greetings from the interior. (laughs) Greetings from the interior. (laughs) So before we get into it today, we just got a few things to say business-wise. What's the first one? We would really love it if you could like, share, and subscribe to our pages. Yeah. Tell all of your friends. So many of them. Yes. Because they might, one. they might like it too. I don't know. They might. They might not. Who knows? Also factual. But we're willing to take the chance. We are. So yes, if you could do that, that would be lovely. Indeed. How many episodes are we away from our hundredth? We are two episodes away from our 100th episode. Did we? Oh, we asked for suggestions, but that episode came out today. We're recording on a Monday. So we don't have any suggestions from listeners yet. Not yet, but but still. Please give us some. Even if it's not our hundredth episode, it could be our hundred and seventh episode. Yeah. Or, we do like to do episodes that are suggested. So yes, we do. Um, so yes, please give us your suggestions anytime, every, every time. Mm-hmm. And then I did get the stickers in for the special hundredth episode limited edition sticker. Ah, how are they? They're pretty cool. They are All pretty right. cool. But um <laughs> I'm going to, I just ordered some samples to make sure they came out. Okay. So I need to order some more, uh, but on our hundredth episode, I will post that sticker and then you guys can let us know if you would like one and it's yep. faux free. Faux free. It's the best price. It is hopefully not every person that's ever listened to this once one though. Cause we on a budget. We are on a budget. That would be rough. <laughs> Which brings us <laughs> into our Patreon. Oh, <laughs> segue, segue. Uh, so we have our Patreon available. We have like 78 episodes out there. All mm-hmm. of them would be at your fingertips. If you would pledge $2 or $5, either tier will do. Uh, we give you a discount code to our store, which is www.mysteryhistorypodcast.com. We will be adding a few more shirt designs on there. Um, We were kind of trying to get our feet wet with it. And um, so my brother's going to be throwing some stuff up there for us. So if you'd like a shirt, um, join our Patreon and and get that discount. Nice. You can't, you know, what do you, we're just trying to give you all the deals. Yeah. So you got anything else to add business wise? I don't think so. I think that pretty well covers it. Okay. Well, I don't know much about this. So I didn't know anything about this and I should shout out my lovely coworker Brock for suggesting this. Cause otherwise I don't think I would have heard about it. At least not until the motion picture comes out in 2022 starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, <laughs> directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh, you know who else is going to be in it? the much loved Brendan Fraser. Really? I, he's yeah. such a national treasure. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. I love him. It's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good movie. And based on this story that we're about to tell, it is going to be insane. So good. Well, yeah. to it. So we'll see what happens. Um, when we read these, these notes here, Rachel did the notes. So I'm kind of going in blind. Um, yeah. So we'll learn together. But mm-hmm. I hear it's I'll, pretty bad. It's insane. I will go ahead and start us off then. Yes. So the Osage were typical of many American Indian nations. They were driven off their lands, as we did. Yep. And they once controlled much of the Midwest of the country. In the 1800s, President Thomas Jefferson referred to them as that great nation and promised to treat them as their friends. 
but within a few years, they began to be forced off their territory. So over two decades, they would have to cede more than a hundred million acres of their land. And they were eventually bunched onto a reservation in Kansas. And then once more were under siege. And in 1870, they needed to find a new homeland. These guys didn't get a break. No. And like that alone, sad story. (laughs) Like right from the beginning, it's just terrible. Yeah. Okay. So an Osage chief had stood up and he said, we should go to this territory. It was then Indian territory. It would later become Oklahoma. And we should go there because the earth is rocky and infertile and the white man won't be able to farm there. And they'll finally leave us alone because obviously they just want to be left alone. Right. So the Osage purchased this land and it was about the size of Delaware where they settled. And by that time, there were only a few thousand left. The the forced migrations had depleted their numbers. Many of them were starving. So just... Isn't good. No. Now, I think purchasing the land is something that was not always done, but I think it's very important to note that they they bought, bought this land. Yes. Right. And then they send this lawyer named John Palmer to Washington, and they negotiated the arrangements with the United States. So they bought it. They had a deed to it. And they had very shrewd negotiators, so including Palmer, who was described by one U.S. senator as the most eloquent Indian alive at that period. And they were able to slip into their treaty um, an allotment that was a provision that was like really kind of strange at the time, which essentially said that they will maintain the subsurface mineral rights to their land. Okay. At the time, the Osage had an idea that there was some oil on the land that they were buying, but nobody realized exactly what they were sitting on. Um, and they were able to hold onto this last bit of their ter- territory and they didn't even know what they were really getting sitting into. With, right. Yeah. Wow. In 1897, oil was discovered on the Osage Indian Reservation which is present-day Osage County, Oklahoma. The U.S. Department of the Interior managed leases for oil oil exploration and production on land owned by the Osage Nation through the Bureau of Indian Affairs. There were only about 2,000 Osage who were registered on the tribal roll, and each one of them received a head right. And what a head right essentially was was a share in the mineral trust. So the Osage wanted to make sure that they were maintained, they maintained all of the subsurface territory together. And so when they did it, they gave each person a head right and you could not sell or buy a head right. It had to be given to you. The head rights uh, could be inherited by legal heirs, including non-Osage. The tribe held the mineral rights communally and paid its members by percentage related to their holdings. It was collectively controlled by the Osage, and each one had a head right or a share. And what that meant is they would receive a check for any royalties or any leases that derived from the oil money that they got. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good deal. Yeah, they were pretty smart about it. Mm-hmm. I really like that they made it to where you couldn't sell or buy the head rights so that the tribe collectively would always maintain the area basically right um early on in the earliest early 20th century there was just a little bit of oil and the osage would receive a check every four months initially it was for like 100 bucks and then slowly it grew and it grew and it grew up to about a thousand um but when it continually grew and by the 1920s the Osage collectively had accumulated millions and millions of dollars in the 20s. In 19, yeah. Wow. Yeah. In 1923 alone, the Osage received what today would be worth more than $400 million. Holy cow. That's a good yeah. payday. Right. And they had become the wealthiest people per capita in the world. Wow. Good for them. Right. 
you would think. Right. But I feel like this is about to turn. <laughs> as it, as <laughs> like it does. It does. <laughs> The, the public, um, the whites, not just in Oklahoma, but across the U.S. were transfixed by the Osage wealth, which allowed images of Native Americans that could be traced back to the first brutal contact with the whites. And reporters would go out and describe how they lived in these terracotta mansions, how they had chauffeured cars, how they had servants, some of whom were white. It was said at the time, whereas one American might own a car, each Osage owned 11 cars. Holy crap. So this mm-hmm. gets into the jealousy, I'm assuming. The mm-hmm. press referred to them as a quote unquote, the red millionaires as the plutocratic Osage. There was a great deal of both envy and prejudice and eventually outrage. And eventually the whites tried to find ways to get their hands upon this money. Right. Why we gotta do this? Can we just be happy for e- each other? No, right? Like live and let live, and be like, good for you guys for being getting millionaires after so many years of being kicked off of your mm-hmm. land and losing so many people. Like, can't we just leave people alone? Right. <laughs> but no, no. no. It's worth noting that I guess particularly Osage women, their control of these assets were restricted in some ways. And then all Osage, mostly all full-blooded Osage, were also becoming restricted. So the government really looking back at ends up just being insane. Like this system that they put in place decided that somehow those sage were not capable of handling their money. I mean, the guy's got 11 cars. He's yeah, doing fine. Right. Well, and it, what makes this even more ridiculous is this is the late 1920s. So this is a time where there's a bunch of white oil um, men that are making tons of money and all this fortune and then going bankrupt and nobody's batting an eyelid. Yeah. And yet there's members of the United States Congress who are sitting around in committee rooms and are debating the national security of, you know, the national securities at stake because these Osage people are making all of this money. Yeah. So they started imposing restrictions. They imposed a system where guardians, which were white people, white guardians, were placed in charge of overseeing how the Osage spent their money. Which is none of their damn business. (laughs) No, it's not. So, of course, this is a deeply racist system, and it was based on the quantum of Osage blood. So if you were a full-blooded Osage, you were deemed quote unquote incompetent and given a guardian who oversaw your wealth. So what they could just be like, no, you can't get that. Sorry. Like stupid purchase move along. I don't know to what depths it was, but it like, I don't know what all they were able to come in and say like, no, you can't buy that. But it became like kind of like a conservatorship, you know, to make like sure to see where their money is going is going and, and- Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 That being said, there was a lot of wealth controlled by the Osage in intermarriages among the Osage tribe and whites increased. And by the early 20th century, because of this kind of clash of cultural forces, so many whites were coming into the area because of the well, uh, so many oil workers and oil men. So they saw that opportunity and they're like, let's go get some of that. Mm-hmm. Many of the old traditions of the Osage were disappearing at this period. By the 1920s, the market for oil had grown dramatically and it brought much wealth to the Osage. In 1923 alone, the tribe took in more than $30 million, which is the equivalent today of $400 million. Mm-hmm. People across the U.S. read about the Osage called the richest nation, clan, or social group of any race on earth, including whites, man for man, which I'm sure back in the day, they weren't a fan of that. Mm -hmm. Some Osage used their royalties to send their children to private schools. Others bought fancy cars, clothes, and jewelry and traveled to Europe 
and newspapers across the country covered their activities. So they were like celebrities. Yeah. Like the world knows what's going on over Uh here in this, in this little Oklahoma place. Along with tens of thousands of oil workers, the oil boom attracted many white opportunists to Osage County. As the writer Robert Allen Warrior characterizes them, some were entrepreneurial. That is such a tough word. Entrepreneurial. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They were businessmen for themselves, while others were criminals seeking to separate the Osage from their wealth by murder if necessary. Whenever there's money... There's always murder. There's murder. Always. Mo money, mo problems. Right. That's true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> the worst problems too. <laughs> yeah. Like death. <laughs> so under that system that they put in place, even minors uh, who had less than half Osage blood had to have guardians appointed to them, regardless of whether the minors had living parents. The courts appointed the guardians from local white lawyers or businessmen. So that's who ended up being in control of these the Osage people. The incentives for criminality were overwhelming. So the guardians often maneuvered legally to steal Osage land, their head rights or royalties, And then again, others were suspected of murdering their charges to gain the head rights. Yeah. So at that time, eight lawyers were working in Powhuska, the Osage County seat, which had 8,000 residents. So eight lawyers to 8,000 people. The number of lawyers was said to be as great as Oklahoma City, which had 140,000 residents. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1924, the Department of the Interior charged two dozen guardians of the Osage with corruption in the administration of their duties related to their charges, but all of them avoided punishment by settling out of court. Oh, duh. Of course she did. Yeah. So these guardians were believed to have swindled their charges out of millions of dollars. And then in 1929, 27 million was reported as still being held by the guardian system. The organization set up to protect the financial interest of 883 Osage families in Osage County. So that's kind of an overview of what went down here. And yeah, now we're going to get into some of the more personal stories of some of the Osage people. And there's a lot of names and a lot of people involved in this. So it gets a little bit confusing, but we'll try to make it as clear as possible. (laughs) Okay. So here we are in the early 1920s. The Western U.S. was shaken by the reported murders of 18 Osage and three non-natives in Osage County within a short period of time. 18, that's nuts. Uh, Colorado newspapers reported the murders as the reign of terror on the Osage reservation. Some murders seemed associated with several members of one family. And on May 27, 1921, local hunters discovered the decomposing body of 36-year-old Anna Brown in a remote ravine on Osage County. Unable to find the killer, local authorities ruled her death as accidental because of alcohol poisoning and put the case aside. Brown was divorced, so probate awarded her estate to her mother, Lizzie Q. Kyle, Kelsey Morrison. Well, her name's Lizzie Q. Kyle. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Lizzie Q. There's a a lot of periods. Lizzie Q. That's a cute name. Lizzie Q. It is, isn't it? Kelsey Morrison, a petty criminal, later admitted to murdering Brown and testified that William Hale, a prominent local cattleman, had asked him him to do so. Along with his admission, Morrison implicated Hale's nephew and Brown's ex-boyfriend, Brian Burkhart, in her murder. Morrison testified that after meeting Brown earlier at her sister Molly's home, he and Burkhart took a heavily intoxicated Brown to Three Mile Creek, where Morrison shot and killed her. And so, here we go. Yeah, starting off strong. Also would like to point out that they shot and killed her, but they couldn't find the killer and ruled her death as accidental because of alcohol poisoning. I mean, 
Wow. How are you going to get shot and somebody be like, alcohol poisoning? <laughs> it was the, those alcohol bullets. They'll get you every time. Wow. Sounds suspicious. I mean, in 1921, their forensics probably weren't great, but I mean. Like you can see a bullet hole you in could. someone you if gotta. you pay any sort of attention. Yeah. So the body of another Osage, Brown's cousin, Charles Whitehorn, also known as Charles Williamson, was discovered near Pauhuska on the same day as hers. So her cousin's body was found the same day as hers. Whitehorn had been shot to death. Shortly after, Lizzie Q. Kyle, who was kind of one of the last Osage elders who still practiced many of the old traditions, and remember, she's the one that got the head right for mm-hmm. everything. She became mysteriously sick. Starting to get her a little ba- suspicious. Suspicious real quick. Her body seemed to wither and become more insubstantial each day, but nobody could pinpoint what was happening. And within two months, she was dead. By that time, Lizzie had head rights for herself and had inherited the head rights from her late husband and two daughters. So her heirs became fabulously wealthy when she passed away. On February 6, 1923, Henry Rowan, another cousin of Brown's, also known as Henry Rowan Horse, was found in his car on the Osage Reservation, dead from a shot in the head. Rowan also had a financial connection with Hale, having borrowed $1,200 from the cattlemen. Hale fraudulently arranged to make himself the beneficiary of Rowan's $25,000 life insurance policy. Over a month later, on March 10, 1923, a bomb destroyed the Fairfax residence of Anna's sister, Rita Smith, killing Rita and her servant, Nettie Brookshire. Rita's husband, Bill Smith, sustained massive injuries from the blast and died four days later. Shortly before his death, Bill gave a statement implicating his suspected murderers and appointed his wife's estate. Later investigations revealed that the bomb contained five U.S. gallons of nitroglycerin, which I feel like in 1923 isn't just like laying around. And it's not like you can buy it on the Internet. Right. So it was gotten somehow and put there wow this is tragic right so and this was all within the one family Mm -hmm. all of those people so like a whole family yeah just wiped out from existence Mm -hmm. yeah so on june 28th 1923 hale and burkhart which is one of his nephews put a man named George Bigheart on a train to Oklahoma city to be taken to a hospital because he was sick. And once he was there, doctors suspected that he had ingested poisoned whiskey. Bigheart called his attorney, William WW Watkins Vaughn of Palhuska, asking him to come to the hospital as soon as possible for an urgent meeting. Vaughn complied and the two men met that night Bigheart had said he had suspicions about who was behind the murders and had access to incriminating documents that would prove his claims. After this meeting, well, let me back up. Before this meeting, Vaughn told his wife that he was going to meet Bigheart and told her that he was putting documents into a safe along with his like will. And he knew that he was in danger, basically. And before he left, told her where all this stuff was. So once Vaughn had this meeting with Big Heart, he boarded a train that night to return to Palhuska, but turned up missing the next morning when the Pullman Porter went to wake him up. His berth on the train had not been used, so he did not sleep there. And Vaughn's body was later found with his skull crushed beside the railroad tracks near Pershing, about five miles south of Palhuska. And then, so he was dead. And then yeah. Big Heart, the man he had met, died at the hospital that same morning. Wow. Vaughn's wife went to check where he had said he had documents and put everything away. And that safe had been cleaned out. So who did that? We'll never Don't know. know. I know. 
We'll nope. never get to know. Nope. I don't like, this. I don't know. Yeah. So like, there's another sketchy thing. Like who would have access going to that? On. That's the problem with these stories. Like there's so much in each individual one and the, the ties for who is involved in this is huge. Yeah. It's huge. There were a ton of people there in this place, just looking to get rich and working together to basically like conspire against this tribe. Right. And there's these interracial marriages that are happening where there's white men where marrying these Osage women, probably the other way around too, but I feel like they talked more about that to not because they were in love, but because they they're trying to get in this family. Yeah. To get these head rights. It is just insane. So now let's say, and you might not know the answer to this, but let's just say that everybody you know, and that you would leave your head right to is dead. Then would it go to the conservator? I don't over- know where it would go because it said you have to inherit the head head right right. so at this time I'm not sure where it would go because then I wonder if it somehow gets back into the Osage tribe and then is dispersed to somebody else or how that works yeah they end up and we'll talk about it just in one sentence later changing the law on who can get the head rights because of all of these deaths and all this conspiring and crazy business going on. They changed the laws on it. So at this time before 1925, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, I think anybody could get it. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, Isn't that sad too? Like all of this happens just because people are freaking greedy and money like, Mm -hmm. yeah, is for what? Like somebody's life is not worth like any of it. Just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. 13 other deaths of full-blooded Osage men and women who had guardians appointed by the courts were reported between 1921 and 1923. That's a lot. By 1925, at least 60 wealthy Osage had died and their land had been inherited or deeded to their guardians. Okay. Oh, well, there's your answer. Yeah. They were local white lawyers and businessmen. So that makes so much, like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This Mm -hmm. is why everybody's dying because they will. White men out here making money. Yeah. The Bureau of Investigation, the BOI. Um, the preceding agency to the FBI found a low level market in contract killers to kill the Osage for their wealth. In 1995, the writer Robert Allen warrior wrote about walking through an Osage cemetery and seeing the inordinate number of young people who died during that time. Well, duh. Mm -hmm. So all of these people are dying. There's contract killers out here and there's just, it's so people making money off of it. It is. It is literally the wild, wild west. Wow. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know. It's just crazy. So Barney McBride, this is another nutto story, was an oil man in the area and he was white And he was a friend of the Osage tribe. The Osage trusted him and they asked him to go to Washington, D.C. to try to plead for help. And Barney McBride went. He showed up in Washington, D.C. and he brought with him a Bible and a pistol. That night when he arrived at his boarding house, he received a telegram and it said, be careful. Ew, that's ominous. Mm Mm-hmm. Then that evening, he walked out of the boarding house and he was abducted. Somebody put a bag over his head. And then the next morning, he was found in a covert in Maryland. His head had been beaten in. He had been stabbed uh, like a bunch of times and he was stripped naked. So that was clearly a warning to people trying to help the Osage tribe, right? Yeah. 
that they will be stopped. And obviously right. he wasn't very careful. So the telegram did not work. Right. Not careful I mean, enough anyways. Wow. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of the white men in the area could see the injustices that were taking place. But then, yeah, if you start killing these people, they're going to be like, well, too bad. Sorry. Like you're on your own. Cause right. it's not worth my life to try to help you. Oh, that sucks. It's a lot. This just sucks. It's a lot going on. In 1925, Osage tribal elders, with the help of local law officer James Monroe Pyle, a SAW assistant for the BOI when local and state officials could not solve the rising number of murders, Pyle presented his evidence of murder and conspiracy and requested an investigation, which they should have done a long freaking time ago, before we got to what, like a billion people dead. The BOI sent Tom White to lead an investigation Because of the large number of leads and the perception that the police were corrupt, White decided he would be the public face of the investigation while most of the agents would work undercover. The other agents recruited were a former New Mexico sheriff, a former Texas Ranger, John Berger, who had worked on the previous investigation, Frank Smith and John Wren, an American Indian of the the Oot Nation. Does that sound good? Sure. My apologies if it's not correct. Uh, Who had previously been a spy for the Mexican revolutionaries. Yeah. So John Wren worked for the BOI and there, and he was an American Indian and he was probably like one of the only American Indians working for the BOI at this time, BOI, FBI. I mean, it was like in its infancy stages there. Mm -hmm. So That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought so. Um, So the Osage Tribal Council suspected that Hale was responsible for many of the deaths. He comes in to a lot of them. His nephews were involved, you know, all that. So the Commissioner of Indian Affairs and the Department of the Interior sent four agents to act as undercover investigators. Working for two years, the agents discovered a crime ring led by Hale known in Osage County as the King of the Osage Hills. Hale and his nephews, Ernest and Brian Burkhart, had migrated from Texas to Osage County to find jobs in the oil fields. And once they were there, they discovered all of the wealth that was there um, being held by the members of the Osage Nation um, from those royalties being paid out. So Hale's goal was to gain the head rights and wealth of several tribe members including his nephew's Osage wife, the last survivor of her family. So just to back this story up a little bit, Ernest Burkhart, his nephew, Hale's nephew, married the last survivor of that first family we talked about. That they murdered. Died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Uh-huh. This is like yeah. some spy shit. So the person that got all those head rights from the one older lady passing away was this chick was this chick. Yeah. Oh my God. Her name was Molly. Mm -hmm. Did they even, did they love each other? I need to know this. I don't know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll with no, because I'm pretty sure she starts suspecting him. So to gain part of the wealth, Hale persuaded Ernest to marry Molly Kyle which is the last survivor of that family. And she's full-blooded Osage. Hale then arranged for the murders. Okay, so no. uh, Her entire family, (laughs) Molly's sister, her brother-in-law, her mother, and her cousin, Henry Roan, to cash in on the insurance policies and head rights of each family member. Yes. Hold on. So so they were married first and then these murders took place? Yes. Oh. What a betrayal. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So this Ernest is a piece of shit, just in case nobody's aware. <laughs> yeah. Like the biggest. What? Yes. Yeah. I'm shocked. Being, so, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my just God. Let all that fall okay, into sorry. place. Okay. I had to just like pause for a second. I know. There's, there's a lot of going on. I know. There's a, so much going on. And like, 
I, I don't know. I want more time because I did not have a good amount of time to prepare for this. So I didn't get to read as much as I wanted to, or grab as much information as I wanted to, which is kind of why it's all over the place. But yeah, I mean, it is bananas. (laughs) The things that went on, she lost her whole family. Yeah. And this guy probably isn't even cute. Probably not freaking earnest. I'm pretty sure that's who Leo DiCaprio is playing, though. Well, I don't like it. <laughs> Leo's better than that. Yeah. Damn. He is. He is better than that. But here we are just going through it. Wow. Yeah, that is that is who Leo plays is, is Ernest. Freaking Ernest. <laughs> what a bad guy. All, all the parts. He had to choose that one. My least favorite. Mm-hmm. He'll be good at it. So other witnesses and participants were murdered as the investigation and the conspiracy all expanded. Molly and Ernest inherited all of the head rights from her family. And then, and then investigators soon discovered that Molly was already being poisoned. So he's going to freaking kill her too? Oh my God, Ernest. And like, if you notice poison and people getting shot is pretty much like the way this is going, but poison was used like pretty frequently because it was like easy to obtain back then, I guess. Um, And it didn't take like a whole lot of pre-thought, like they were just dropping it in whiskey and being like, have a good night, you know? Mm -hmm. So all these people are just being poisoned. Well, and in 1925, I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to? Yeah, you start getting sick. They don't know. Yeah. They can't tell you you're being poisoned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm so angry. I'm so angry at this. Okay. Mm. Oh, let's take a breath. Whew. Okay. Hill, his nephews, and one of the ranch hands they hired were charged with the murder of Molly Kyle's family. Hale was formally charged with the murder of Rowan, who had been killed on the Osage Reservation land, making it a federal crime. Two of his accomplices had died before the BOI investigation was complete. Hale Suspicious. and his- Yeah, that is weird. Because they got people freaking everywhere. They probably were poisoned. Hale and his associates were convicted in state and federal trials from 1926 to 1929, which had changes of venue, hung juries, appeals, and overturned verdicts. In 1926, Ernest pleaded guilty to being part of the conspiracy. Just a part of it, like, you're the worst. Mm. I mean, Hale is the worst. Yeah, but I'm mad at Ernest right now. Go right ahead because there's enough anger to go around. And I think it's crazy too. Like they're going into these trials and they're getting hung juries. Like how? I know. How could people think that? Oh, well, it's okay. Because guess who's on those juries? The people that are getting all this fucking money. A bunch of corrupt a-holes. I can't. It is insane. So John Ramsey confessed to participation in the murder of Roan as soon as he was arrested. He said that Hale had promised him $500 and a new car for killing Roan. Ramsey met Rowan on a road outside of Fairfax and they drank whiskey together. Then Ramsey shot Rowan in the head. Subsequently, Ramsey changed his story, claiming that the actual killer was Curly Johnson. His accomplice, Brian Burkhart, which is one of Hale's nephews, um, had turned state's evidence. The trials received national newspaper and magazine coverage. Sentenced to life imprisonment, Hale, Ramsey, and Ernest Burkhart later received parole despite protests from the Osage. Yeah. Number one, Curly Johnson is a made-up fucking name. <laughs> For sure. Doesn't exist. <laughs> that guy's two, not real. <laughs> he's not real. No. And that's a terrible name. Number two, mm-hmm. they fucking got paroled? They should yeah. have hung. Like, not a hung jury. I mean, hung outside on the rafters. For like, everybody to see. Yeah. This was during yeah. that time when hangings were cool. Like, string them up. did it. Right? Ah. Oh. Oh my, what a tangled web this is weaving. Mm-hmm. Various residents of Pahuska, right? Pahuska? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
petitioned. I was hoping the whole time that I wouldn't have had to have read that word. <laughs> and here we are. No, no such luck. Pahuska petitioned Oklahoma Governor Jack C. Walton to conduct a full investigation of the deaths of Charles Bighart and his attorney, William Vaughn. Now, Walton- why we got a petition for that? Right. It should just happen. <laughs> just, you're right. William Vaughn, uh, or I'm sorry, Walton assigned Herman Fox Davis to the investigation. Shortly after the assignment, Davis was convicted of bribery, shocked. Although Walton later pardoned Davis, the investigation of Big Heart and Vaughn was never completed. Shocked again. So just like abandoned. Yeah, yeah. like, eh, we don't want to mm-hmm. really figure it out. Right. In the case of the Smith murders, Ernest was soon convinced that his wife's money and his uncle's political influence couldn't save him. He changed his plea to guilty and asked to be sentenced to life imprisonment rather than receive the death penalty. He turned state's evidence, naming his uncle as responsible for the murder conspiracy. So dude got scared after being a POS. And then turned on everybody. Ernest said that he had used a person named Henry Grammer as a go-between to hire a professional criminal named Asa Ace Kirby to perform the killings. Both Grammer and Kirby were killed before they could testify. Suspicious. Dog face. Ernest Burkhardt's attempt to kill his wife failed. Molly, a devout Catholic, had told her priest that she feared she was being poisoned at home. And the priest told her not to touch liquor under any circumstances. Thank God. He he also alerted one of the FBI agents. Molly recovered from the poison she had already consumed. And after the trials, divorced Ernest. (laughs) You get it, girl. That's right, Molly. As you you would. (laughs) Molly Burkhart Cobb died of an unrelated cause on June 16th, 1937, and her children inherited all of her estate. So Ernest didn't get shit, which is weird to me because Ernest was soon convinced that his wife's money wouldn't have helped him. She should have known the truth at that point and wouldn't have given him any money to like try to help him right i would hope but Mm, 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 mm. all right let's fast forward in the early 1990s journalist dennis mccalfie of the washington post investigated the suspicious death of his grandmother sybil beekman bolton an osage with headrights who died in 1925 at the age of 21 As a youth, he had been told she died of kidney disease, then as a suicide. His doubts arose from a variety of conflicting evidence, and in his investigation, he found that the BOI believed that the murders of several Osage women, quote, had been committed or ordered by their husbands. Mm -hmm. Most murders of the Osage during the early 1920s went unsolved. So these men got away with murder and a ton of money yeah they just married an osage had her killed and then head rights wow mcalfie found that when bolton was a minor the court had appointed her white stepfather attorney arthur a.t woodward as her guardian woodward also served as the federally appointed tribal counsel and he had guardianship of four other osage charges each of whom had died by 1923 not looking good stepfather not looking good mcalfie learned that this his grandmother's murder had been covered up by a false death certificate he came to believe that woodward was responsible for her death his book about his investigation bloodland a story a family story of oil greed and murder on the osage reservation in 1994 presents an account of the corruption and murders during this period That'd be an interesting book to read. Yeah. I think there's a, quite a few interesting things that have been written about this time period and these families. Cause like I said, there's so much to get into and it's not just the, the stories we told. Mm-hmm. There's lots more. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap that up and a note 
earlier we mentioned a local law officer who helped bring the BOI into the case. His name was Pyle. He um, ended up having to leave Oklahoma. Um, Osage County officials sought revenge against Pyle for his role in bringing the murders to light. So basically he got blamed by mm-hmm. all these angry, greedy white men for, for saying, Hey, all everybody's getting murdered over here. Um, so he and his wife fled to Arizona where he again, served as an officer of the law. Thank goodness. Because obviously yeah. he's a good one. Right. Um, and then he died there in 1942. So just wanted to update that. Ugh. Um, and how and then, terrifying would that be? Because like, you know what they're capable of. Right. And it's such a big string of people. It's not like you know, just Hale's little family. It was like a bunch of people all tied in on this. And you wouldn't know who to trust and who was okay and who wasn't. Um, And like we mentioned before, there was a change in the law to try to prevent further criminality and to protect those age people. And that was in 1925, Congress passed the law prohibiting non-Osage from inheriting head rights from Osage who had half or more Native American ancestry. So that kind of put a halt to these people yeah. getting their head rights when they shouldn't. Right. No, but the guardianships getting the getting the head rights. Well, and I wonder what happens like eventually whenever there's no more Osage. I don't know. Then where's it go? You know, maybe just mm-hmm. back to the government. I don't know. I don't know where it goes now. I mean, there's got to be family for forever, you think. Yeah, there still is what you're going to talk about now. All right. The Department of Interior continued to manage the trust lands and pay fees to Osage with head rights. In 2000, the tribe filled a lawsuit, filled, filed a lawsuit against the department, alleging that federal government management of the true assets had resulted in historical losses to its trust funds and interest income. There was, this was after a major class action suit that had been filed against the departments of interior and treasury in 1996 by Louisa Cobell, otherwise known as Blackfeet on behalf of the other Native Americans for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So in 2011, the U.S. government settled with the Osage for $380 million. The settlement also strengthened management of the tribe's trust assets and improved communications between the Department of Interior and the tribe. The law firm representing the Osage said it was the largest trust settlement that one tribe in u.s history or with one tribe in u.s history so they got to file all this because of how crappy everything went when they were like oh you guys need somebody to watch you right because (laughs) it started out it's so good and then that started and then it just all went downhill so fast because there's always that's the problem anytime you make a rule there's always a loophole to it And these Mm -hmm. people found the freaking loophole. And unfortunately, lots of people had to die because of this thing. Like, ugh. And there's like no amount of money that you can get to make up for the fact that so much of your tribe was murdered. Yeah. A lot of them like direct family members, like whole units of family wiped off. Yeah. Like that whole family got murdered pretty much well and molly was right there behind them getting ready to yeah getting ready to also get murdered yep wow what like how could you ever trust anyone again if your husband freaking had a hand in murdering your whole family and then was Mm -hmm. trying to kill you also like i don't know she got remarried good for her (laughs) i hope she had a really wonderful fantastic life because she does too because i hope she had like whatever she wanted money-wise mm-hmm. 11 cars mm-hmm. get herself a she shed what i hope so anything she wanted but i mean what a what a complete mess and that's not can even you like, believe that no <laughs> i've never how could how have we never heard of this i don't know i thought the same thing while i was doing the notes because i'm like how how have i never heard of this even a little bit 
this needs to be brought to the mountains and screamed and it and it will be next year or this year what year is it i don't even know 2022 (laughs) this year (laughs) leonardo will help us get this word out yeah and you know what it's directed by martin scorsese so that'll be really popular and robert de niro plays hale oh okay i can get behind that yeah and john lithgow's in it i mean there's like big names associated with this so i think that this is going to be a really popular movie and i'm assuming it's going to be really well done so i think this will like bring to light this situation a little bit more but you know they're doing the story of molly's family I wonder yeah. how much all this other stuff will, I mean, I'm sure it'll be in there, but it's just, it's the whole tribe. Like everybody was in danger That's so because sad. of all this money. Yeah. And I'm sure at the, like at the beginning when they were like, Ooh, there's oil, like this is fantastic, but man, that spiraled <laughs> very fast in mm-hmm. with a lot of blood. Right. And then anybody that tried to help. Yeah. Right? They were <laughs> like everywhere. prominent, prominent, well-known men, lawyers, like, like prominent people murdered mm. because this went so deep and so like constructed. It's crazy. I'm so glad we have forensics now. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. cause this is the and kind you of shit that have, happens. You just yeah. have 13 people dead and, oh, Oh, alcohol poisoning. Oh, can't problem. sort it out. Alcohol poisoning. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And you know what's sick is this kind of stuff still happens. Like, not this probably to the scale, but especially like with tribes, like there's so much that goes on that, you know, doesn't get the right amount of publicity. Like, mm-hmm. Native American women go missing all the time. And it's, you know, not brought to light or people aren't looking for them the way that you know we look for little white girls that go missing Mm -hmm. like it's sad that it still you know happens things still happen i'm trying to find oh what is it um oh reservation dogs have you watched that on um hulu no it's so good it's got Okay, I'm going to say his name wrong all the time. Taki Watiti. Oh, love him. He's amazing. He was in Jojo. You know, he did Jojo Rabbit and he played Hitler and it was freaking hilarious, but not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he um, directed this show on Hulu called Reservation Dogs. And it's supposed to be a play on Reservoir Dogs, but they're all like they're on a Indian reservation and it's about how they want to get out and what kind of shenanigans like it's so good it's is it so good. funny there's some parts that are funny yeah but some of okay, it is like really sad and like the stuff dark. that they through and but it's it's lighthearted at the same time but most of it is just like a story following these kids around on how they navigate the reservation it's so good hmm. I'll have to watch that have you watched what we do in the shadows uh-huh yep and our flag means death have you I haven't watched that? that. Oh, that's good too. That's good too. He's also in that. Oh, is he? I love, mm-hmm. I love him so much. I, me too. He's great. I'll have to watch this reservation dogs. That sounds good. Yeah. But- it's only, um, it's only like one season. I think it's like 10 episodes or something like that, but mm-hmm. it's really, it's really good. I'll watch anything he puts out or is in. Right. He's great. So real yeah. quick. This really doesn't have anything to do with what we just talked about, but I watched another show on Netflix called yeah. The Bad Vegan. Haven't watched that either. Holy shitballs. What is that about? It's about this poor, not, I mean, she was an affluent restaurateur that had a vegan restaurant and she had a dog named Leon, who is like a pit bull, cutest thing ever. She meets this guy on Twitter who this guy was playing words with or no uh, Twittering Alec Baldwin and her and Alec Baldwin were friends. So she starts playing words with friends with this random guy that Alec Baldwin knew. And Mm -hmm. it goes into this crazy ass story of 
him saying that he was like a Navy SEAL, even though he weighs like 400 pounds, which I mean, I'm a heifer too, but I don't claim to be a Navy SEAL. I don't think <laughs> that that's what happens. Right. Um, and how he like takes her, they get married. He takes her on this four and a half year journey of basically embezzling money from her saying that she has to pass all of these tests to prove that she is this superior being to be the queen of this family that doesn't like, it is just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's the craziest shit. He ends it's up based in, on a true story. No, like it's a documentary. It is a true oh. story. It's a true story, dude. You oh, got to watch wow. it. And then we got to hmm. talk about it. Anybody else that's seen it, I want to hear your thoughts because this shit is crazy. And she primarily <laughs> did it because he told her that the dog, Leon, who's like her BFF, would become immortal. And she would be immortal and they could live she together forever. him? Yeah. And he embezzled like $6 million from her. And then she went to, she went to jail because she basically stole money from her restaurant to pay him this money and didn't pay her workers. And then it all got shut down. All this stuff. So is there something wrong with her mentally? She's kind of an odd bird. She's beautiful. She's kind of an odd bird. And I think... I mean, she just wanted love to be real and when their dogs live forever. I get that. I mean, I get it too. (laughs) I get it too. Her dog's adorable, but yeah, some crazy ass shit. And then they find the kicker is, is they go on the run basically. And he said he's gained all this weight more so than what he already had whenever they met and says that, you know, this is a part of your test. I'm supposed to be revolting and the test is that you love me through being this disgusting while she's still vegan. He, they get separate hotel rooms that are connected and they get caught because he purchased a Domino's pizza on the credit card. Oh my God. And they found it like how freaking ironic. Did it have extra pepperoni? I don't know, but (laughs) What a oh, ride. man. It's like four episodes. It's like an hour a piece. I watched yeah, I'll watch it Sunday and I'm not even sad about it. Like that was your whole day. <laughs> literally. And it was worth, worth it. it. That's so sorry. Crazy. I just went on a tangent, but it's really good. Noted. I'll check it out for sure. Check it out. We'll have to do an episode on it because it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> that's all you can say. <laughs> you got that's ridiculous yeah all right let me cite my sources for this um so i use wikipedia npr.com fbi.gov and okhistory.org which is like oklahoma history okay i was gonna say this is not okay with me none of this that happened is okay no no oklahoma history okay history org but yeah npr the portions that i got from that they did an interview and i'm wondering if i can find it because it's recorded like a something you can listen to and it was with one of them like i think davis or somebody who wrote a book like um i think we talked about it i don't know if it's dennis mccall if i don't think it is i don't think it's that person okay but it's somebody else who wrote a book about it and i think he has a lot of insight and i didn't get to read the full interview so i'd like to listen to it right um so if we can find that maybe we can post a link on for the npr interview but yeah it's there's just so much and there's so much we didn't talk about so definitely like if you're interested do some of your own research share on our posts because I would love to know more and I need to do more research still too because I'm I don't know it's just insane it really is and I'm sure it goes so much deeper than yeah this. I'm like, sure each like think of all those people who died every single one of those families has a story mm-hmm. to tell with what happened and you know where their money went and who was involved so what there was like 883 families Mm-hmm. So you got to think this is just one. Yeah, we talked about a couple, we talked but, about a couple, but mostly, mostly the one family. So yeah, there's, wow. there's plenty other families out there that I'm sure suffered and deserve to have their stories known too. So it's yeah. insane. 
Yeah, definitely. If you guys know of anything else in addition to this, let us know. We'd love to chat about it. Mm-hmm. And we hope you enjoyed this episode 98 on the Osage Tribe Murders. Yes. And we hope you all have a great week. A lovely week. Bye. See you next time. <laughs> Bye.